Good evening, church. This uh, this morning, um, during my lesson, as I, I guess I was just focused, and uh, at some point during the lesson, uh, I looked and I saw I had two friends uh, at the podium. And what you didn't hear me say was Russ. And, but it wasn't Russ, but that was my thought. And so I'm working at this. I'm still trying to get to the bottom of it. Um, so, so, Russ, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> for the rest of the sermon, I was like, I'm going to get that guy. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, I think I know who it was. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I was just preaching. And I looked down and I go, what? How, where'd they come from? <laughs> Oh, it's funny. All right, let's go to God in prayer. Great God, we love you so very much, and we're so thankful to you for your compassion and for your love, and we thank you, Lord God, for blessing us and for keeping us and for strengthening us and bringing us back this hour to be able to worship you, thanking you, Lord God, for even the very privilege of being able to worship you and to know that this day heaven responds to us. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for guiding, guarding, and leading, and directing us. And thank you for Jesus, who so willingly died that we might live. It's in his holy and precious name we pray these things, be thy will. Amen. It did still sound good to say Russ, though. Um, Back to Judas. Um, Was Judas any different uh, from any other human being? Uh, Any of the other apostles? The answer is no. He was... The same as everyone else. He had a free will like everyone else. He had a free choice like everyone else. And so the whole betrayal of Jesus uh, was a choice that Judas made. Judas was not predestined to evil. Uh, The theology that comes from uh, Calvinism, the idea of predestination, that this whole event happened, and it was Judas in particular, Because Judas had no choice. Predestination, that is incorrect um, theology or doctrine. We think about the acronym uh, TULIP. And and TULIP is a Calvinistic uh, teaching or um, essential doctrine within their thinking. And it's, it's total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. And that's all found in this idea of, of tulip. And basically what it says is, or what that means, is if God chose you to be saved, there's no way you could be lost. And if God chose you to be lost, there's no way you could be saved. It's one of the most depressing doctrines you could ever believe or trust in. And if you go and study it and you talk to someone who talks about predestination, that is one of the most depressing doctrines you can imagine. Here's a man who loves God, who wants to be with God and be in heaven, and he serves God and fears God all the days of his life, but because of predestination, he cannot. And then on the other hand, you have the man that's the wickedest of the wicked, of evil, and he refused to change. And he cannot. You know, he's automatically going to heaven. The wicked man, the righteous man, is automatically going to hell. It's, it's the most depressing doctrine, yet there are so many folks who believe in that doctrine. And so here we are tonight thinking about this idea then of predestination. Was Judas predestined? Maybe we ought to do a whole lesson on predestination, but let me just just grab some thoughts out just quickly uh, on Judas. Matthew 26 beginning at verse 20. Now here's what's important. 
when you're studying the Bible, context is, is important, is valid. You have to have it. So let me show you how important context is and even refuting a doctrine like predestination in Judas. Remember, last week we, we, we thought about the fact that what they said, Jesus is the bad guy, Judas is the good guy, right? All right, beginning at verse, uh, verse 20. The Bible says, Now when evening had come, he was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. And being deeply grieved, they each one of them began to say, Surely not I, Lord. And he happened, excuse me, and he answered and said, He who dipped with me, or his hand with me in the bowl, is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man shall go. The Son of Man is to go. Don't learn two different versions when you're quoting. Uh, Just as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. So someone says, okay, so see this text right here teaches predestination. Because look at the next verse. And Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Lord, surely it is not I, Rabbi. And he said to him, you have said it yourself. So someone says, okay. So here's the passage that we'll use for predestination. And we'll join that passage with John 13. So turn to John chapter 13. And we'll look over at uh, verse 18 and then verse 26. Verse 18 says, I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I've chosen. But it is that the scriptures may be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And then verse 26. Jesus therefore answered, uh, that is the one on whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. And so right there, those two passages uh, say in the mind of a Calvinist that Judas was predestined to betray Jesus. I would ask a few questions. Let's go back to Matthew 26. The first question that I would ask is this. Does prophecy and the fulfillment of prophecy demand or mandate predestination? And the answer is absolutely not. Prophecy or the fulfillment of prophecy does not demand nor does it mandate predestination. So an important key in this particular passage in Matthew 26 is context, right? Because we picked up at verse 20 and read through verse 20, what, 5? But if you go back and get the context, you'll see something totally different. Verse 14, you'll find out the deal was already made before Jesus made the statement. Verse 14, the Bible says this. Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me to deliver him up to you? And they weighed out to him the thirty pieces of silver. And from then on, he began looking for an opportunity to betray him. And so, so we, we look at Judas and we understand and we know that John 12 and verse 6 tells us, just quite frankly, that Judas was simply a thief. Right? He was a man who was in love with money and uh, was looking for a score or a good opportunity to make a little bit of money. John 12 and verse 6, the Bible says, uh, Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box. And he used to pilfer what was put into it. So the question, uh, if predestination were true, I have another question to ask. So let's, let's assume that 
predestination is true. That would contradict the entire New Testament. Do you know why? Because if predestination were true, when Jesus said, go therefore and teach and baptize, why? What's the point? A man that's lost can never be saved, and a man that's saved can never be lost. Why do I have to go out and teach the Word of God? Why would I have to go out and preach the gospel? In fact, Jesus, he, turn to Acts 17. Even by way of inspiration uh, through the Word of God, it tells us that God expects something of mankind. He expects a change. Why would God expect a change if man cannot change? What would be the point? You know, it's a rhetorical idea, if you will, or thought, in the living of uh, our lives, if we're going to go out and try to convert people that are already saved. Makes no sense. Acts 17, verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent. Why? Because the lost can turn their lives to be saved. And the saved can turn their lives to be lost. The point is, everyone needs to turn to God in order to be saved. Predestination and the idea of, that Calvinism brings to us, and that so many people believe in this world today, they bring that from predestination all the way, believe this or not, all the way into the book of Revelation and take it out of context, and there's all kinds of trouble. Maybe, maybe I'll, deal, I'll have to deal with that uh, uh, soon. To say that Judas was predestined, this is really important as well. I'm going to turn to Acts chapter 2. Is to say that every person involved in the, in the event, right, uh, with Jesus, the preceding verses, and you, if you, can't, you can't take one and not take them all, right? You can't grab your favorite verse and use it and not grab all the verses that surround themselves around that subject. Or you can't take one individual and not take the rest. And so here's what the, the, the incident with Judas, this is what it actually is the difference is predestination as the world sees it and foreknowledge they work hand in hand okay so there's a scriptural predestination and there's an unscriptural definition if you will of predestination okay let me show you the scriptural and i want to talk about what that means acts 2 beginning at verse uh 22. The Bible says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God raised him up again putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And so the verse says that God, God was delivered up by a predetermined plan of God. What was predetermined? The Savior would die. Genesis 3.15. That's the plan. That's the point of Acts chapter 2. What did God do? Because he had to have someone do it, right? What did God do? He used foreknowledge. So when God used foreknowledge, what did God do? He searched the minds of humanity until he found a man who would never change 
Even if God himself stood next to him, who was that man? Judas. He did that twice in the Bible. He did it with Pharaoh. I raised you up for this very purpose. And I saw he put a man that God himself calls God, Moses, you'll be like God, and Moses, Aaron will be like your messenger or your prophet. And he put Moses right next to Pharaoh. So that it was undeniable that Moses was with God, and yet Pharaoh would never change. And then Judas, God himself stood right next to Judas, walked with him, talked with him, washed his feet, blessed him, and kept him, and that wasn't enough to change Judas. So God used foreknowledge to know there's a man named Judas Iscariot. He will never change regardless of what you do to him or for him. And yet, knowing that with his foreknowledge, he still tried to save you. That's how good our God is. Matthew chapter 23. We'll, and we'll come back to that when we deal with, um, with predestination at some point. Matthew chapter 23. Foreknowledge does not demand predestination. That's really important, right? So think about this uh, in this way, right? Um, the text teaches us that all of humanity has had a, or have had a choice. We all have choices that we have to make. Jesus says in Matthew 23, in verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. They had choices, right? All of, all of Israel had a choice. All of humanity has a choice, right? Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. So God gave them choices, but they chose not to honor God, not to follow God. They killed most of the prophets of God. Should we be uh, surprised if they wanted to kill Jesus too? Obviously not. It is the choice of humanity to defy God. That's just where, where humans live. They just don't, they don't want God. Right? Most people, and just look around, most people don't want God. Right? You go around this city and, you, and we preach Jesus and we try to talk to folks uh, in the city and other cities and all over the world, and most of humanity want nothing to do with God. So Matthew 23, but that's their choice. Beginning, if you will, at verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the mountains of the righteous and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Consequently, you bear witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. Here's what they were guilty of. They kept murdering God's people. Kind of amazing, right? We are God's people and we love God, but we're going to murder all of God's prophets. Makes no sense to me, but that's the choice that humans are allowed to make. You serpents, verse 33, you brood of vipers, how shall you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city that upon you may fall the guilt of the righteous blood shed on earth. 
from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murder between the temple and the altar. Choice. And so here's what mankind has done. God's people, they murdered all the prophets. Most of the prophets, anyone that came to them to bring the message of God, they were defiant and obstinate people. That wasn't predestined. That was a choice. Matthew 27. Matthew 27. We go back to the scene of the cross. And I want to show you that, that these, these men in making their decisions, they were reasoning in their own minds before they made the judgment or the end judgment, if you will. In Matthew 27, in verse, uh, beginning in verse 24, the Bible says, And when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the multitude, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. Now, Pilate could have stopped this, but he chose not to, right? Some say Pilate the coward. You look historically, you find there are reasons why Pilate didn't stop. He was already in trouble, and, and there's lots of information about why Pilate didn't stop this. He could have, but he chose not to. Verse 25. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. All, as hyperbole, obviously, there were many, the majority were saying, let's let Jesus die and that's okay. We'll take that curse upon ourselves. We want Jesus gone. And then he released Barabbas for them. But after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him to be crucified. So, so did God decide, did God decide that um, all this would happen in this way? God used foreknowledge. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, Romans chapter 5. It's the right time, the right people, the right event, because God knew what was going to happen. God knew the choices that humanity would make regarding his son. Verse 57. Verse 57. And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph. Sorry, I need to go back to chapter 26. 26.57. And those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. So here, here men gathered together trying to make a decision. What are we going to do with Jesus, right? Verse 65. They finally have him, by the way. They wanted to kill him for quite some time. In verse 65, then the high priest tore his robe, saying, He is blasphemed. What further need do we have of witness, of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, he is deserving of death. And you know the sad part about this passage? They knew he wasn't. They knew he was not. And we know that they knew he was not because Nicodemus told us in John chapter 3 that we know you came from God for no one can do these signs or these things that you do unless God is with him. We know God's with you, but John 11 says, but we don't want to lose our kingdom or our nation. And then Pilate says in John 18, he knew it was because of envy they delivered him over. And they're here in this meeting, and they brought up false witnesses, and they set this whole thing up. So are we calling God a liar? Right? Again, you can't take one if you don't take it all. You got to take the whole scene. And so it was God's foreknowledge, knowing at the right time this, this wicked people would be uh, what they are and who they are. And John chapter, James chapter 1. And so the issue is people just not uh, being willing to 
admit the truth. The truth is that Judas just had money issues. See, it feels better for us to not think about Judas having money issues, right, in his own mind, a love of money. Because then it just, it, it then rec- it, it, when you think about our mind, the way we think sometimes uh, from a worldly perspective, it, it makes us feel better. But the reality is, the love of money is the root of all evil. That's so true over and over again. And in fact, the Bible calls money detestable. And yet we pursue after it. And so it feels better just to kind of make Judas a scapegoat. But the love of money is still the love of money. And the love of money is the root of all evil. So he had money issues. And when you have money issues or whatever your issues are, whatever my issues are, is not from God. Where is it from? It's from me. Verse 13 of James chapter 1. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So here's the issue. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, speaking in regards to money, that uh, the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pain. So here's what, here's what God wants. 2 Peter uh, chapter, chapter 3. I think I've, I've entitled this uh, at one time, speaking to you, the one thing that God wants that God just cannot have. Sad though. Sad. And it's because God gave man a free choice. God will not violate our free choice. And because God will not violate our free choice or choices, there's something that God wants that God can never have. And it's found in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But that's not going to happen. That's something that God wants that God is never going to have. Isn't that sad? It's a sad reality, Right? So on one hand, where folks argue, I'm going to John chapter 10, where folks argue predestination and try to put things on God that, that aren't true and try to make uh, Judas a scapegoat or make Judas innocent, make Jesus the bad guy. Yeah, when you look at the scriptures holistically, you find that Ezekiel 33, you find that so many places in the Bible that God does not want the wicked to die lost. So what does God want? He wants all mankind to come to Jesus. And if, and, if, and if Judas was a pawn, it wasn't God's pawn. It was Satan's pawn. Right? And he fell right into the hands of Satan. And the text tells us that if the rulers had known, if Satan had known that killing Jesus would actually have the opposite effect in saving humanity, Satan would never have done it. But the thing is, God is wiser than Satan. And the foolishness of God is wiser than man. And our greatness. So who is Jesus? What does Jesus want? John 10. What did Jesus want for Judas as well? He's not willing to any parish, but for all, for all to be saved. John 10, verse 7. Therefore they said, <clears throat> Jesus therefore said to them, again, Truly, truly, I 
say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I'm the only way in. He says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Even for Judas. Even for those that pierced him. What what an amazing God it is that we serve. I am the good shepherd. Verse 14. And I know my own. And my own know me. John 10, 14. Jesus wanted Judas to be saved. But salvation is one thing that God left in the hands of man. He gave a plan. And he said, the plan is this. You must hear the word of God. You must believe the word of God. You must repent of your sins. You must confess his name before men. You must be baptized, immersed in water for the remission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's God's plan. That cannot be altered, and it cannot be changed. And yet, sadly enough, the religious world has challenged that plan. And they've messed it all up. But that doesn't change the plan of God. Sadly enough, repentance is something that God's not going to get where all mankind repents and comes to Him. But oh, how I wish, and I know you do too, that it were changed. But tonight, now I'm just talking to us. If there's something that you need, Turn your life around to come to the Lord. If there's something you need to do, now is the opportunity. Today is the day. Make it known. We can pray with you and pray for you. If we can help in any way, please come. While together.